This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. Uh, words associate emotions and feelings and thoughts and experiences, and sometimes they um, elicit different responses. And so I want to practice that with you. And this is a chance for some of you who, who like to disrupt public meetings with loud, boisterous cries. This is your chance. So I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to let you respond. I'm going to say something and whatever comes to your mind, you're free to uh, say it out loud. And I think it'll be an interesting response. A rock band. This didn't work out like it did first service. <laughs> okay, let me rephrase this. When you think of a specific rock band. All right, so I'm hearing Led Zeppelin, ACDC. See, the, the first service caught on right away. You guys ruined my illustration. It's supposed to work the other way around. Uh, so there, there can be uh, typically uh, when it works the way it's supposed to, uh, there's various responses. Uh, there could be, depending on when you grew up in your generation, it could be the Beatles or Rolling Stones or uh, if you're a little bit younger, Def Leppard or Bon Jovi. Or if you grew up like me, it could be Petra. Does anyone in this room know Petra? It's okay. All right. All right. Wow. Then we have a star moment. We have the ex-manager of Petra, Paul Jackson, right there in the second row. Um, you know, we actually, a couple of weeks ago, a Petra song was played in this church, and I thought that would never happen. There's some things you can never predict, and that was one of those moments. So, so we all have various responses to that word association with a rock band. Um, this this might be a little narrower. Let's see here. And I'm going to give you an abbreviation. The DMV, the Department Motor Vehicles. You are a frustrated group here. Listen to you guys. But I heard speckled in here, among many other things, uh, the, the word long lines. And that's what I think of. I mean, if you go to the DMV, you have to plan half a day. Someone in the first... First service said stinky, which I don't know where that came from, but, and you say it is. All right, I'm going to give you another word association that, that I think, I'm just going to predict most of us will have the same reaction. Uh, I guess I could have used rock band, but, but I'll use it this way. April 15th. Okay. So most of you said taxes because that's a stronger association. So we went from something general to a little more specific to something extremely specific that we all agreed upon. I'm going to give you another word, but at this point, I don't want you to respond. I want you to contemplate uh, because I'm interested to know what your reaction will be. Uh, tithe. The word tithe. What immediately comes to your mind? Now, well, these, 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 these are good answers. Yes, blessing. Unfortunately, a lot of people, one of the first things that come to their mind is guilt. They immediately associate the word guilt with tithing. And so if you see a sermon on tithing that's going to happen, it's like, oh, I'd like to avoid that Sunday. Or if you begin to hear it, you begin to feel real feelings of guilt. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But today, as we continue on this journey called I Love My Church, I want you to learn to love tithing. 
And God wants you to love tithing. God doesn't want tithing to be something you dread or that produces unnecessary guilt. And in a few minutes, we're going to be in Leviticus 27. So you can, you can start making your way there. But a lot of times, unfortunately, we as religious leaders have used the principle of the tithe simply to raise funds. Or we've used the principle of the tithe and we've taught about it in a time of institutional desperation. Well, today I'm coming to you and I'm coming to you in a month where we're doing well financially. At least all our bills are paid here at the church. I'm not coming to you out of desperation. I'm not coming to you because the financial committee gave me a directive Preach on tithing. We need more money. You see, I think when that happens, and that does happen in churches, it pollutes the message God's trying to give. And it puts a cloud of guilt on people that is truly unnecessary and truly God doesn't want you to have. I want to talk to you about tithe again as a pastor because I love you. And I believe it's what's best for you. Now, if for some reason you haven't been to church in four months, four months, which happens. I did speak on the tithe in October and it's been three or four months later. So in case you hadn't been to any services in between, I don't want you to say that preacher preaches about tithe every Sunday. No, there's been a four month gap and uh, we pray about these messages and we have a team that looks at them. And I feel like this is what the Lord wants us to talk about today. So I'm presenting to you this teaching on tithe for your benefit, not for the church's benefit, even though we will benefit, no doubt. And you'll see that from the scripture. The first thing we need to understand what the basis of the tithe is. And we see this in Leviticus chapter 27. And now we'll read this together, starting in verse 30. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the field or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Now, there's a couple of things I want to point out on the scripture. The produce of the land, the grain and the fruit, that was their commodity. It would be what our currency is today. It was their money. And God said something. He said, one-tenth, and, and just so we, we're all on the same page, that's what the word tithe means. There's no ambiguity there. The tithe means a tenth. One-tenth of the produce of the land or one-tenth of your commodity. In in, in our language, one-tenth of our currency or our income belongs to the Lord. And it must be set apart to him as holy. Well, on the back of your bulletin and both in in the U version that's available uh, through that application, here's the first thing I want you to write down or recognize is the tithe is holy. The tithe is holy. I want us to establish that as the basis of that because that gives us a responsibility as a church leadership too to not to use the teaching of tithe to manipulate or not to use the teaching of the tithe uh, as, as a carnal motivation to just increase the income of the church. The tithe is so much bigger than that. Because the tithe has been established through generations. It's the way God has had a covenant with his people. The way he's funded the work of worship. And the way that he wants us 
to position our hearts. So the basis of everything that I want you to understand is that the tithe is holy. Let's talk about the term holiness. And I really felt the spirit on this particular point. And, and we, we may just need to discuss holiness more because holiness touches everything in our life. But God has always called some things holy. He started out and said, there are certain days that are holy. Let's take, for instance, the day of atonement. That day is holy. It is set apart. It's not just a normal Tuesday or Friday. It's a special day. It's a holy day. It's set apart for the purposes of God. Within the rhythm of a week, there's seven days and God has set aside the Sabbath among his people and said, that is holy. It's set apart. It's special. It's mine. As worship was instituted and formalized and the tabernacle worship began that there were certain artifacts that God would say, okay, this tent is holy. It's going to be set up a certain way. And there's pieces of furniture that are holy. In other words, they are set apart for the purposes of God. You're not just going to have a normal meal on this table, or you're not going to just do a normal business transaction. That piece of furniture is set apart for worship. It's holy. It's separate. I've designated it as different. Now, we now under the new covenant... We are to be holy. We are set aside. Our very lives are to be set aside as special, as a light to the world, as a temple of the Holy Spirit. But now let's go back to this matter of our finances. Because I want to, as you see in the title, establish this point. Under the new covenant, the tithe is no longer law. You don't have to tithe anymore. It's life. There's life in the tithe. It's no longer law as if we, if we were to stumble, would be separated from God for eternity. No, it's life to us. And God has said, I am setting aside something that is holy and special. I set aside many things, but within your bank account, within your paycheck, within the place of commerce, all of it's mine, but the Lord says 10% of it's holy. 10% of it's not to be touched. 10% belongs in my house. And that's the message God says. Now we see how this is reiterated in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was, we're going to do a series on Deuteronomy later on in the year. It's a 30-day reminder to God's people before they went into the promised land. And among the reminders, he said this in Deuteronomy chapter 26, starting with verse 13. Then you shall say before the Lord, your God, I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. Just think about this. There's something that was in my house for them. It was grain. It was produce. As we apply it to us, I have removed from my paycheck. I have removed from my checking account, the sacred portion, that which is holy. And moreover, I have given it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, according to all your commands that you have commanded me. I have not transgressed any of your commandments, nor have I have forgotten them. I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning or removed any of it while I was unclean or offered any of it to the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all you have commanded me. We go back to the beginning of verse 13 and those words that I underlined struck me. I have removed the sacred portion out of my house. There's this sense, this idea 
this understanding that if the tithe is holy, if God has set apart a portion of my income, of my paycheck, of, of the money that's in my checking account, 10% of it belongs to God. The tithe belongs. And I've got to get it out of my house. I, I want to. There's an eagerness. There's a readiness. There's a yes in my heart. There's a willingness. Because why? Not because you're being manipulated by a man. Not because you're a weak-minded person who the religious institution is trying to suck money out of you. No, because you understand a sacred pattern established by the Lord that the Lord who provides for you has said, I am giving you increase. I am giving you income. I'm giving you money. And all I'm saying is that there's part of that money that is holy, it's special, it's sacred, it's set apart for me. It's mine. And as people who are not under the guilt of the curse and we're not under the... Um, the condemnation that came from the law that brought condemnation, that has the ability to bring us great joy. Great joy that says, I understand that this God who provided for me has designated some of my money as holy, special, set apart. I I went to a small uh, liberal arts college in Kansas and there were only a few hundred of us on campus. And so we... We're able to know our professors very personally and and most of our classes, they would interact and so forth. And there was one professor who was really maybe the most popular professor on campus. And and we would all try to get in his classes. One of the reasons was his outgoing personality. He could easily get sidetracked. So... The conspiracy that he never discovered is we rotated uh, when the start of class happened and we would just ask him one or two interesting questions, not having anything to do with the subject that was scheduled, uh, but it was maybe a current event, a politic issue, a political issue, an election, uh, sports. He was a sucker for sports talk. And you just kind of float a question out there. And the class was gone. It was over. He would, we would just have this delightful dialogue back and forth. And then he would kind of stumble to, oh, class is over. Read these pages. And, and what happened is because he didn't manage his time well, manage the class well, he would have to water down the quizzes. And so the quizzes and tests got easier and easier. And so those were fun classes that we all tried to get into. In contrast, there was another professor who was more disciplined and focused and passionate about the subject he taught. And I took several of his classes. And his classes weren't easy. In fact, I remember getting a couple of C's, which was rare for me at that time in this class because it was a very rigorous course. And the papers were long. His grading was detailed. The tests were intense. And he wasn't the most popular one. But in retrospect, I have carried the knowledge I've gained from his classes with me uh, throughout my career and throughout my life. Why? Because a good teacher knows how to test. I mean, if you don't test your students, how do you know whether or not they're learning anything? If you don't test appropriately and judiciously and consistently, how will you know If anyone's learning anything, here's the second thing I want you to write down about the tithe is the tithe is a test. The tithe is a test. God sets a test before you. Now, when we think about test, it has a sense of doom. 
because we've all been in academic situations where if we don't pass this test, it's over. We don't get into the program. We don't pass the course. We don't pass the class. Uh, there's probably been times, even if you took a standardized test, where your future was hinging on this one test. Well, our loving God, who is full of grace and full of compassion, who wants the best, he tests us. And one of the ways he tests us is through the tithe, but he prepares us to succeed. He wants us to succeed. But there is a pattern that's been set and it started in the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve had everything. I mean, they had everything you could possibly want. They were in perfection. In fact, the Garden of Eden is what we send them, is what we compare perfection to. So, but look what we can see what the situation was. If we go to Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. I mean, that's the freedom the Lord has for us. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. God said to them, everything is yours, but I'm going to test you in this one thing. I'm going to test you with this one tree. You can have everything else, but I'm going to test you with this. And I believe one of the ways God tests us, not the only way, but it's through the tithe. When we understand the tithe is holy, it's set apart, it's special. And then God says, I'm going to use this to test you. Now, another researcher uh, looked at the number 10 and came up with some conclusions I want to share with you about God using the number 10. How many times did God test the Pharaoh's heart? 10 times. How many times did God test Jacob by changing his wages when he worked for Laban? 10 times. How many times was Daniel tested in the first chapter of Daniel? Ten times. There are ten virgins in Matthew 25. This is an important scripture you'll want to write down, Revelation 2.10. Revelation 2.10 talks about the future, and it says the church will go through ten trials, ten days of testing. For whatever reason, in God's sovereign plan, he has often attached the number ten to testing. That's just a pattern. He's done that. And so it is that he has testing us with this concept of the tithe. So now we see the scripture in Malachi chapter 3, which I've never heard a sermon on tithing without going to Malachi chapter 3. And for good reason. It's a scripture that needs to be one of our guideposts. It says this. It says, bring all the tithes, all the 10% into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. Now, I don't want to beleaguer this point, but I just want to say this, is that this, again, is the pattern that God funded temple worship and he's funded community worship through the tithe. And I just will say this, is the Levites who did not have an inheritance, he didn't have a home, they ate off the tithe that was brought into the temple. The bottom line is this, is that when more Christians tithe, there's always going to be, this, this church will be debt-free we're going to have plenty of money to hire as much staff as we need, as many pastors as we need. We'll have plenty of benevolence money to help anybody in need. Uh, we will fund missions around the world. There will be no need in this house when people tithe. That's God's way to fund the church. It's his law of economy. So going on, it says, if you do this, now that's about the church. Let me go back to you. If you do this, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. We're going to talk about that in a second. And here's the point. 
to the test. God's testing us, but this is the one place in the scripture he says we can test him. Try it. Put me to the test. What an incredible statement Malachi said under the leadership of the Lord. Put me to the test. Now, the argument that often comes up is this, that, well, we're not under the law, we're under grace. And that is correct. And, and I hope that you sense that in my presentation and, and uh, the way I'm trying to handle this truth with the delicacy and the full scope of Scripture. But I do want to point this out, that under grace, Jesus moves past just outward law. And the Sermon on the Mount, he moves into the heart. And grace actually requires more of us. And that's why we need Jesus so much. See, before people thought they could follow the rules and they didn't need him as Savior. But when the Savior come, uh, he said, he, he exposed the needs of our hearts, which made us need him more. And so under the law, it said, don't commit murder. Under grace, Jesus said this, don't even call someone a fool because you've committed murder in your heart. You need Jesus. The grace requires more. Under the law, it said, do not commit adultery. Under grace, it says, listen, it's not just a matter of not committing adultery. Don't even look at a woman lustfully or you've committed adultery in your heart. Why did Jesus say those incredible bold statements? Because he wanted to point us to our sinfulness, that we have to have him. We cannot manage this stuff truly through actions. We, we have to, we need his grace. And so it is the New Testament church. Uh, they, yes, they tithe, but beyond that, they took all their extra money. And if they, they all brought it into, into the community fund, they did more than tithe. So I just want to refute that argument that, well, we're not under the law. I understand that we are under grace, which actually freely allows us to give more. And we give more than the 10%. Here's, here's the third thing I want you to write down is the tithe is a trigger. It's a trigger. Now I could have used, I wrestled with the word, I could have used the word catalyst or starting point or whatever, but a trigger meaning this is it starts something. It creates financial momentum in your life. It gives a doorway for God to enter into the financial realm. It gives God access to the paycheck, gives God access to the checking account. And now we go back to Malachi chapter three, verse 10, that says it this way, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is the same scripture now with a different version, a different interpretation. And therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. That's a promise from God. Now within that, we have, uh, we, we have other things that we need to live by, other parts of scripture, such as to, to stay out of debt and to not be materialistic and to not spend money simply on wants, but to spend money on needs first. And all those principles from the scripture are equally important. But the point that I want you to understand today is that through this scripture is that the tithe is a trigger. It's an access point. It's a starting place. It's a catalyst. It's a place for God to get involved in your finances in a supernatural way. And he will do that, but you have to open the door. If you want to just manage your finances by yourself and not include the Lord, not let him be a part of it, you can close your door to the tithe and there's little to no room for a supernatural move of God 
in your finances. How does God move in your finances? Well, there's the typical stories. There's raises, there's bonuses, there's promotions, but I believe God keeps us healthy and those medical bills that can suffocate, that, that those, uh, that, that's one of the way God blesses us. That's one of the way that we come is by keeping us healthy, keeping us out of marriage counseling, keeping us out of uh, all types of predicaments that uh, his blessing upon us will help increase our finances. I believe God can cause the gas in your tank to last longer. I believe that. I believe God, when he gets involved with you supernaturally, he can begin to move in the area of resources in ways that you can never imagine. Some of you are going to begin to find things in unusual places that are going to keep you from spending money. I mean, it's amazing how God can bless you when you clean out the garage. <laughs> it's like, wow, I forgot that was there. I also believe that angels uh, can strategically place things that have been lost to be found again. I, I really believe that. This is what I'm talking about, the blessing of the Lord. I'm talking about God getting involved supernaturally in the financial realm. And a trigger point for that is to the tithe, that God's going to come in and God's going to do something, open doors, open avenues, give you ideas, replace things, extend things, cause things to last longer, cause things to appear uh, supernaturally because we've opened the door for the tithe. God can do that. It's a trigger point. It's a starting point. It's a place of obedience that God wants us to submit to. The last thing I want to say is this, is the tithe is a response. The tithe is a response. I love the story of Jacob because Jacob, we, we learn a lot about Jacob and we see a pattern in his life of of obedience and then resistance of faith and a lack of faith. And in the end, Jacob has a beautiful relationship with the Lord. The first sermon I ever preached to this church is out of the passage we're about to look at. Jacob had wrestled with God. And so we have. Some of us, we wrestled through God through the rebellion of adolescence. Some of us have wrestled with God about this very subject we're talking about today. Some of us have wrestled with God about other issues. And like Jacob, we've wrestled with God and we have found that God always overpowers us. <laughs> as long as we, we, we don't run from him, he, he overpowers us and he wins. So Jacob wakes up from wrestling with God. And now in, Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28, starting with verse 16, it says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early and he took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar and he poured out oil over it and he named the place Bethel, which means house of God. And although it was previously called Luz, and then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Now, and as I'm sharing this with you, and I don't want this to sidetrack us, I might have, I might have uh, given you the wrong context for the scripture, but regardless 
the point the Spirit's trying to say is, is true. I, don't, I can't remember now if this was after Jacob's ladder or if it was after wrestling with God, but either way, let's just move forward. This is for those of you who at lunch would be like, the pastor took that out of context. I can't believe that. Sorry. Um, the, the, point, the, point is, um, the point is this. God did a work in Jacob, and Jacob responded. God touched Jacob supernaturally, and Jacob responded. And he said, God, you have done this. I have seen this is my Bethel. This is my place where the glory is. And Lord, you're going to be with me the rest of my life. You're going to be with me all the days of my life. And you are always going to be with me now because of that. Because of that. And looking again one more time in verse 22. As a memorial pillar I've set up, this will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. This is what I want you to understand about the tithe today. Whether you're visiting on one Sunday or you're going to be here for 10 more years, I want you to love to tithe and to put love behind the tithe. Why? Out of a response of what God has done for you. Just like Jacob who said, God, you have done this and you're going to be with me. And so every time I put a check in the offering or every time I pay online or every time that money is automatically deducted from my bank account like it is for mine and that money goes straight to the house of God, I'm responding to what you've done for me, God. And I'm expecting you to be with me, God. That is an incredible statement. The tithe wants to be more than something you have to do to get a ministry position. The tithe needs to be something more than a qualifier or something more that you're responding to just the guilt of man. You see, if that is what it is, then it won't mean anything to you. But if the tithe is a response to the love of God and it's a response to what he's done for you, it's a beautiful thing. And here at this church, the position our elders have taken is this, and not everyone, I'm going to tell you, agrees with this, but, but I'm going to tell you this. We believe in the tithe. We believe it's biblical. But we understand that when you're so far in debt, that sometimes you're tithing off someone else's increase when you need to be paying them. So, so here's the stance we are taking for now. So often it's an all or nothing thing. People, if you don't, if someone, if you don't have the faith to tithe, you say, well, I'm not giving anything to the Lord. (laughs) So we have a lack of participation. And I just say that if you can give 3%, start with three and two months from now, go to four and five months from now, go to six and a year from now, go to eight and 14 months from now, go to 10. And then why not keep going? (laughs) Right? So you can present your worship to the Lord, knowing God, your blessing is attached to the 10%. And I want to give 10%. I'm walking in repentance. Sorry, Lord. My heart's desire is not just to give you as little as I can. My heart's desire is to give you what is holy and special. And I'm getting there, God. I'm working there. I'm rearranging my priorities. I'm rearranging my schedule. I'm getting there, God. And I want to go beyond that. You see, because simply what happens is this. Sometimes we think our giving's not significant. You know that if you gave $10 a week, at the end of the year, in 50 Sundays, 
That's $500. That's a significant amount to this church. That's a significant amount to God. And you can just see as you submit to God how he increases that. And so I want to invite you, invite you to love the Lord through the tithe, to respond to him, to realize that it's holy, it's set apart, it's special. It's a trigger to good things in your life. And it's a response to the goodness of the Lord. It's a response to the goodness of the Lord. And so we, when we hear sermons on tithing and we we have none scheduled for months, unless the Spirit says, but the next time, we don't have to dread it. We don't have to skip that Sunday. We don't have to say, oh no, I'm about to get manipulated. I'm about to get tricked. No, with joy, we can say, I know that the tithe has been established holy as God, holy from God. And it's special, and it's special to me. And I'm going to respond to love the Lord with that. My favorite story goes like this. There was a man who owned a, one of my favorite stories it is. He owned a construction company where he, he would manage the building of many, many homes. And he had a superintendent who was tremendous at what he did. In fact, he could trust a superintendent to do anything. And so he said, our company is going to build a home and we've chosen you to be in charge of the construction. And we want this home to be our showcase. He said, I want you to build this home the best way possible. Spare no expense. You have an open check. Make it a masterpiece. Make it something that will make our whole company proud. You just ask for any money you need and take that money and build it. So the construction process started. And as it started... The superintendent began to think, you know, I'm not valued by my boss. He doesn't understand my talent. My boss has been underpaying me for years. He doesn't give me bonuses. I do all the work. I do all the management. And he gets a benefit from it. So he began to do something. He began to use inferior quality material. He would ask for money for the finest material, use inferior material, and then pocket the rest of the money. And he did this in areas where the boss wouldn't notice. It was behind the walls. It wasn't in the obvious places, but he started taking shortcuts. And that project went on and the project ended and the house was beautiful on the outside. But the superintendent, he knew, he knew that he had really cheated the house, that it wasn't the quality it was supposed to be. So the day came where they dedicated the home, they toured it, and the owner of the company came to the superintendent. He said, thank you for what you did. Thank you for giving me your best house, for giving me the best construction. Now here are the keys to the house. This house is your gift from me. Little did he know the house that he was taking a shortcut on was the very house he was going to live in. That applies many ways in our lives, but it applies with our attitude to the Lord sometimes and giving to the Lord. The Lord wants us to change our attitude and make it a matter of our heart. Beth taught this song to us Wednesday. We sang it just a little bit ago, but the verses mean so much. And I think it means so much to the faith we need to trust God with a tithe. As we meditate on this teaching, would you look at these words and sing it with her as we let the Holy Spirit minister to us.
accepted the tithe. I think those words are appropriate. I look to you. God, you are wiser. You understand these principles. You're wiser than this. Let's pray about it. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Life.